0: Let's open our Bibles, please, this afternoon to Genesis chapter 11. We'll start there later in the message. We'll be turning to Revelation 13. Today I'm bringing part two of the message I started two weeks ago about how Nimrod's rebellion in Genesis 10 to 11 and building the Tower of Babel and forming the first unified kingdom or empire over all men prefigures the coming global government of the Antichrist. First, for a quick review and a few more observations from the text here in Genesis 11. Beginning in verse 1, we'll read through verse 4. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there, and they said to one another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach into heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. From the last part of verse 4 here, let us make a name, let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. We can not presume then that Noah's descendants had at that time in this account not yet scattered abroad into other lands. And so where we read in verse 2, that as they journeyed from the east, and they found a plain in the land of Shinar, the they in that verse refers to the inhabitants of the whole earth. In verse 1, that were all of one language. In other words, Noah's sons and their families, apparently finding the region of Ararat undesirable, probably becoming rather cold, Looking for better land, they stayed together and apparently migrated southeastward at first, down through the Euphrates Valley and into present-day Iran, once known as Persia. And then they turned back westward to enter the low-flat land of Shinar in present-day Iraq from the east, where they decided to build a city and a tower. Verse 3, And they said to one another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly." They had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, go to let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. As we saw last time, this effort was led by a man described in chapter 10 named Nimrod, whose very name speaks of rebellion and who we deduce in the text was a cunning politician, a leader and a motivator of men who at this particular location achieved the position of ruling as king over that whole assembly, forming the first kingdom we see in the Bible. At that early date, in fact, being the first universal government or empire over all the families of men. As you read in chapter 10 and verse 10, that the beginning of Nimrod's kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna, in the land of Shinar. So there were four cities in that land that Nimrod ruled over, presumably at the same time, with his capital or his seat of government, apparently located where he built this Tower of Babel, at the site later, then to become the city of Babylon. The tower itself, being an affront to God himself, and an effort to achieve godlike status, just as Lucifer said in Isaiah 14:4. 4, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll be like the Most High. Nimrod and his followers wanted to be like the Most High also, or to come as near to him as they could, saying, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. That statement indicates that they knew it was God's intention for them to be fruitful and multiply, spread out and fill the earth. But Nimrod, no doubt inspired and aided by Satan and his minions, said, no, let's not do that. Let's all come together instead and make a name for ourselves right here. Stay together. So in verse 6, the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. In other words, in that day, meaning they will proceed from one evil to another with no restraint whatsoever. Mm-hmm. As we see the fruit of that warning today. So therefore we read in verse 8 to 9 that the Lord confused the languages to compel them to scatter abroad into separate nations. Verse 8, so the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Babel meaning confusion. So Nimrod was the world's first king, its first ruler to unite all mankind under, of that day under his dominion, which has been attempted many times since, we know, but never achieved. And as such, Nimrod clearly prefigured or serves as a type of the coming Antichrist, who the Bible says in Revelation 13:7 will be given power or authority over all kindreds and tongues and nations. The Bible says, well, he makes war with the saints, God's people, to overcome them. That verse also says, in preparation for which, Lucifer, Satan, the devil, has for centuries had his devotees who gathered in their secret societies, their Masonic lodges, and their covens, coordinated, I still believe, based on the text of Revelation 17, I'll be getting into more today, and many other clear historical and current evidences That effort being coordinated through the Vatican in Rome in order to plot and scheme to bring that global government to pass. Who have even adopted the image, these globalists have even adopted the image of the Tower of Babel to symbolize their effort to build a new world order. And who Satan also has enriched with the wealth of this world to either conquer or to stealthily infiltrate and take control over the governments of this world, to ultimately destroy all resistance to his new world order. And they keep inching closer and closer to that goal, using a multi-pronged strategy that we began to talk about last time, for which goal, of course, the League of Nations was formed after World War I, followed then by the United Nations, the UN in 1945, World War II, the World Health Organization, WHO, in 1948, and the World Economic Forum in 1982, which has now come, World Economic Forum, has now come to dominate both the UN and the World Health Organization, all done under the guise and the pretentious pretext of promoting goodwill and peace and good health for all the people of the world. But that, of course, as we saw clearly demonstrated and the World Health Organization's role in overseeing the global con job of the COVID-19 biowarfare operation of 2020 has instead brought either death or great physical harm to tens of millions of people globally, literally. Mm-hmm. Stage one of which, that pandemic, was the release of the bioengineered pathogen, and stage two being the so-called vaccine that we know is not at all a vaccine in the traditional sense, but instead employed experimental mRNA genome-altering technology that, first of all, had never been used on humans before. Secondly, had never been successful in the past. Thirdly, seeks to reprogram the human DNA genetic code with what its creators call its operating system, designed to reprogram every cell in the human body and that four was rushed to the public with no long-term testing by companies with very poor safety records and histories of criminal negligence that submitted insufficient data to the FDA to warrant emergency use authorization, and that five have, as of this past January 26, 2024, by the government's own various numbers, produced 1.6 million adverse reactions and almost 36,000 deaths in the U.S. alone. Those numbers are way low. <laughs> However, uh, that's with only 10% of such cases being reported. So the actual numbers are probably 90 to 95 times higher than that in the U.S. alone. Research that was presented at a recent conference in Romania suggests that globally around 17 million people have died as a result of the shot so far. And twice that have been left with long-term detrimental effects and yet those shots are still being recommended for children as young as six months and in the absence of any kind of emergency. They're still recommending those shots. Mm-hmm. As mentioned last time, young people, athletes, and others who were naive, they were misinformed, and they were gullible enough to believe the government media lies and take the job while they were still in good health continue to either drop dead or have their lives ruined by various kinds of permanent disabilities, neurological diseases, Bell's palsy, uh, Goulain-Barre syndrome, myocarditis and pericarditis, and very strange blood clots. And now, the World Economic Forum cabal, WEF cabal, is again trying to scare the world into, su- into submission, saying, in effect, get ready, because we're going to do it to you again. Only well, This time, they say it's going to be much, much worse. As reported last time, the featured speaker at one of the events at the annual gathering last month of the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, his presentation being titled, Preparing for Disease X, was Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus, who is Director General of the World Health Organization, who in his speech said, quote, it's It's a matter of when, not if, for a new disease to emerge, they're calling Disease X. Tedros said, Disease X is a yet unknown, unseen disease, and yet the description of the event on the WF website states that Disease X could lead to 20 times more fatalities than the coronavirus pandemic. Obviously, there is no way for them to predict such a result or draw such a conclusion for an as yet unknown disease. (laughs) So Dr. Tedros, no doubt a highly paid puppet of the Rockefeller and Gates Foundation's is lying through his teeth, and he knows more than he's letting on about disease X. Scientists in the UK are already developing vaccines for a potential future pandemic caused by an unknown disease X in a secret government lab. According to the head of the UK's health security agency, their plan is to develop a vaccine for disease X within 100 days of the outbreak. They don't need to test it because they've already tested it. <laughs> They're going to be using the same te- technology. They just need the, the uh, genome data for the virus, and they can crank these things out from the data, they say. No testing whatsoever, not needed. So my guess is that the pathogen is ready to release. They already have the vaccine in mass production, is my guess. But then there's something else that Tedros lied about at the WEF conference. That being the World Health Organization's new pandemic preparedness treaty that's been in the works since 2021. And that the WHO is now trying to pass into so-called international law in tandem with amendments to the international public health regulations. They want to pass this, uh, this coming May, by May 27th, three months away. Tedros warned at the conference that Uh, Momentum for the passage of the agreements had been slowed by, quote, entrenched positions and a torrent of fake news, lies, conspiracy theories, etc. And he said that failure to ratify the agreement at the World Health Organization's assembly when it convenes this May 24 to 27 would be a, quote, missed opportunity for which future generations may not forgive us. I think future generations, if they know what the World Health Organization's already done, will already never forgive them. He called for a, quote, strong agreement that will help to protect our children and grandchildren from future pandemics. They always make these power grabs about the children. When the children are not at risk from these diseases, as much as adults and especially the elderly are, Tedros said, quote, we cannot allow this historic agreement, this milestone in global health, to be sabotaged. Between these two agreements, the Pandemic Preparedness Treaty and the combined amendments to the IHR, the International Health Regulations, these are indeed milestone agreements, but not with any view toward improving global health. These are instead milestone agreements in establishing global government and in subjecting national laws of all signing nations to the World Health Organization's mandates. According to Tedros, the reason that passage of these amendments is in danger of failing, as due to, quote, entrenched positions and a torrent of fake news, lies, and conspiracy theories about governmental power, these agreements will hand over to the World Health Organization. Tedros said the pandemic agreement can bring all the experience, all the challenges we have faced, all the solutions into one. That agreement can help us to prepare for our future in a better way, because this is about a common enemy, and without a shared response, we will face the same problem as COVID. And then he said that claims that the pandemic preparedness treaty would cede national sovereignty to the WHO or give it the power to impose lockdowns and vaccine mandates was completely false, he said. That being another bald-faced lie. He was lying through his teeth. Clearly, the common enemy that we all face is not COVID or disease X nearly as much as it is the UN, the World Health Organization, and the devil that these people serve. These people always create the problem, and in this case, these pathogens that they create in the hundreds of bio labs they have around the world, so they can then implement their desired solution, which is ultimately to unite all mankind under the dominion of the devil's antichrist that was prefigured by Nimrod there at the Tower of Babel, when he built the original city of Babylon. The Bible says it will finally happen. It will take place. But it happens, as we know, in a day of unimaginable global chaos and upheaval as pictured in Revelation chapter 6 through 17. Technically, Tedros is partially correct when he says the pandemic treaty itself does not cede national sovereignty to the WHO. But the treaty, what the treaty does is it binds all signing nations to 46 pages of newly proposed amendments to a separate body of laws known as the International Health Regulations, which amendments do, in fact, impose global government and require signing nations to cede their sovereignty to the WHO. So he's speaking with a forked tongue. He's lying through his teeth. I obtained copies of both these documents online. I actually had printed out the regulations, the amendments to the the regs, to just flip through and show you it's all red. I mean, they're changing just about everything in there to change definitions, etc. I will be posting them online with this message. But under the proposed treaty and its accompanying regulations, WHO will have the authority to declare an international public health emergency on any basis, including alleged climate change and CO2 levels, even without evidence, and will be entitled to mandate remedies that all member states will be required to implement. That includes vaccine mandates. It does include travel restrictions, includes which drugs can and cannot be used, and the censorship of everything that does not conform to the WHO's official recommendations. During COVID-19, there were a few voices that were able to get out enough information to wake up a large fraction of the populace to resist government mandates, even despite YouTube's rabid censorship policies. This time around, though, they're, they're, they've are they're learned their lesson. They're trying to completely silence the opposition and the truth getting out. Right up front on page 5 of this treaty, under Chapter 1, Introduction, Article 1, Use of Terms. After defining the terms genetic sequences and genomics as used in the treaty, the third definition listed in this body of definitions is, is a coined word, infodemic. Infodemic is a defined legal term in this set of regulations defined as, quote, too much information, false or misleading information in digital and physical environments during a disease outbreak. That means on Internet and whatever. It causes confusion and risk-taking behaviors that can harm health. Folks don't want to get their vaccine. Oh, no, they can harm health. It also leads to mistrust in health authorities. Well, no, no kidding. It also leads to mistrust in health authorities and undermines public health and social measures. So we can't let the truth get out. They're actually going after disinformation and misinformation in these documents. And now they're also actually going after what they're calling malinformation. That's bad information. That's true. Department of Homeland Security has regulations now to, uh, to try to impede and stop malinformation from getting out. So they want people to stop sharing the truth. This treaty then gives the WHO sole authority to decide what medical truth is and requires signing nations to, quote, leverage channels to counter misinformation and disinformation. Requires the signing nations to do that, to stop the flow of information. So all signing nations would be obliged to censor what the WHO defines as misinformation and disinformation accordingly by whatever means necessary. That's what they're obliged to do. And then the fourth definition, addressed under Article 1 of the treaty, detailed uh, further in Article 5 of the treaty, is what the WHL calls its One Health Approach. One Health Approach defined as, quote, integrated, unifying approach that aims to sustainably balance and optimize the health of people, animals, and ecosystems. It recognizes that the health of humans, domestic, and wild animals Plants in a wider environment, including ecosystems, is closely linked and interdependent. They're one health approach. They want to control everything. In other words, all nations have to get on the same page and let the WHO tell us what good health is and what is good for us and for our environment and for the animals and the ecosystem. That same type of language pervades this 30-page treaty and its 46 pages of regulation amendments on almost every single page. Article 14 of the treaty addresses what it calls regulatory strengthening. Section 1 of which states, the parties shall strengthen their national regulatory authorities, including through technical assistance with the aim of expediting regulatory approvals and authorizations and ensuring that the quality, safety, and efficacy of pandemic-related products. In other words, this means nations have to find ways to get WHO-mandated drugs and vaccines into their populations without going through full testing and licensing. In the U.S., an EUA can be issued without testing the product in even one experimental animal. That's what, they, that's what they want, no testing. We just want to get these things out quick. Article 14, Section 2 states, the party shall align and, where possible, harmonize technical and regulatory requirements and procedures In accordance with applicable international standards. In other words, signing nations are required to amend their pandemic response laws to conform to these globally harmonized standards. Section four of that article. Every party shall, in accordance with relevant laws, publicly disclose information on national and, if applicable, regional processes for authorizing and approving use of pandemic related products. In other words, every signing nation must publicly disclose and account for the steps it is taking to enforce WHO mandates and to push its vaccines as quickly as possible. They must have laws, regulations in place to push pandemic drugs and vaccines out quickly. That's what this is all saying. If the amendments to the international health regulations are passed this May 27th, under Article 18, the WHO's Director General, Dr. Ghebreyesus in other words, will be able issue orders for any of the following measures to be applied anywhere in the world among the signing nations. Review travel history of all persons in affected areas. Review proof of medical examination in any laboratory analysis. Require medical examinations of any citizen. Review proof of vaccination or other prophylaxis. Well, I want to make sure you've been, out, you've been vaccinated. Require vaccination or other prophylaxis. Place suspect persons under public health observation. You don't want to take the vaccine. We're going to arrest you, put you under observation. Implement quarantine or other health measures for suspect persons, those who resist. Implement isolation and treatment where necessary of affected persons. Implement tracing of contacts of suspect or affected persons. Refuse entry of suspect and affected persons. Refuse entry of unaffected persons to affected areas and implement exit screening and or restrictions on persons from affected areas. And they want to separate those who resist from those who comply so they can persecute and perhaps, you know, get rid of those who don't comply. I could go on and on, but as stated, that this same type of draconian, power-grabbing, totalitarian language pervades this treaty and its regulations on almost every single page. So as Dr. Tedros addressed 50 heads of state, nearly 3,000 world leaders from business, political, and academic sectors at this latest conference of the World Economic Forum to say these documents do not require signing nations to cede their sovereignty to the WHO. He was intentionally lying through his teeth. He was propagating a bald-faced lie. This treaty, with its implementing regulations, is not a prescription for global health. It's a prescription for global government. And for, I believe, the ultimate implementation of the mark of the beast via vaccine mandates. And also quite possibly to further the transhumanist agenda through the use of these genetically engineered genome altering mRNA vaccines. We talked a little bit about how that's possible a few years back when the mRNA vaccines first rolled out. And I'll we'll probably address it again in days to come. But with only three months left, to the planned passage of this treaty, I would not be at all surprised to hear any day now of the release of this so-called disease X as a pretext for its passage and ratification by signing nations, to scare nations into adopting it. We could hear literally any day now that a new highly contagious disease, a highly deadly disease, has cropped up in some part of the world and is quickly spreading to other regions, just like what happened back in, almost exactly four years ago this month. February 2020, when COVID-19 began to spread from Wuhan, China, to other parts of the world. Turn to Revelation 13, please. As usual, again this year, the world's number one Jesuit, Argentinian Jorge Borgoglio, also known as Pope Francis, who is listed as one of the WEF's agenda contributors. He contributes to their agenda gave his blessing, his instructions, and direction to the World Economic Forum's agenda via a letter to his friend, Klaus Schwab. Of course, his letter made no mention whatsoever of the Lord Jesus or of anything related to the gospel, aside from Bergoglio's Marxist social gospel providing for the poor. I'm just going to read a very brief excerpt from this thing. Um, Message of the Holy Father, Pope Francis, the executive president of the World Economic Forum, on the occasion of the annual meeting. January 15, 2024, to the Executive Chairman of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab. This year's annual meeting of the World Economic Forum takes place in a very troubling climate of international instability. Your forum, which aims to guide and strengthen political will and mutual cooperation, provides an important opportunity for multi-stakeholder engagement to explore innovative and effective ways to build a better world. It's my hope that your discussions will take into account the urgent need to advance social cohesion, fraternity, and and reconciliation among groups, communities, and states in order to address the challenges before us. In other words, Pope says, let's all get together. Right? That's 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 his that's his gospel. The process of globalization, says Pope Francis, process of globalization which has by now clearly demonstrated the interdependence of the world's nations and peoples. Of course, he's a globalist. Thus, has a fundamentally moral dimension. We have to do this. It's a moral obligation which must make itself felt in the economic, cultural, political, and religious discussions that aim to shape the future of the international community. There is an evident need for international political action that, through the adoption of coordinated measures, this pandemic treaty can effectively pursue the goals of global peace and authentic development. In particular, Pope says, it is important that intergovernmental structures, global government, Be able to effectively exercise their functions of control and guidance in the economic sector. We're going to control the economy since the achievement of the common good is an objective beyond the reach of individual states. Pope says we've got to get all the nations together, have one unified economy because the goal, the achievement of the common good can't be done by individual nation states. That's what the Pope says. It's my hope then that the participants in this year's forum will be mindful The moral responsibility, moral responsibility, each of us has in the fight against poverty, the attainment of an integral development, integral development, global government, united development. For all our brothers and sisters, we're all, of course, part of the same family. We're all children of God, right? And the quest for a peaceful coexistence among peoples. With these sentiments, I offer my prayerful good wishes for the deliberations of the forum and upon all taking part, I willingly invoke an abundance of divine blessings. And so he showered God's blessings upon this, this meeting. Turning now to Revelation 13. In the first part of this chapter, we see a beast rise up out of the sea. As we've laid out in prior messages, that beast does represent a global empire that gains political control over every nation on earth. And that beast also represents the man that will be in control of that empire, whom we know as that man of sin and son of perdition of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, known as the Antichrist. John then sees a second beast coming up out of the earth, which beast represents a global religious empire, and at the same time also represents that man that will be in control of that empire, also known as the false prophet, that we see in Revelation 16, 19, and 20, which we've also studied in prior messages and identified as the Pope of Rome, the papacy, Roman Catholic papacy. We read here in Revelation 13, 11, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. This is the false prophet we're talking about here. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth, and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonder, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth, by means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, which did had the wound by the sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak, and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he, the false prophet, causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom, let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, of course the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, three score and six. There are many things that we could mention here, but in particular there are just four things I want to quickly bring our notice to about this passage. First of all, as we have studied and I think proven in prior messages, the second beast here, having two horns like a lamb, speaking as a dragon, represents a global religious empire. Two horns like a lamb, he's a fake Christian, fake Christianity. At the same time, this also represents that, that man that will be control of that empire, also known as a false prophet. Again, we see in Revelation 16, 19, and 20. We have identified this man, as a, this beast, the second beast here, false prophet, as a papacy in Rome, who has an abominable global religion that masquerades as Christianity and is depicted in chapter 17. Revelation as a woman who rides this same beast we see as the first beast in this chapter. It's also the fourth beast in Daniel 7, a global uh, empire, political empire, military empire, whose reigns are therefore held by this very same false prophet guiding that beast. Secondly, we see that uh, this mark, whatever it is or becomes, will be the means and method of implementing a global economic system. The very purpose for this mark is to exert total economic control over the entire earth and over every man, woman, and child therein. Thirdly, we see the deception of this system. Those who submit to the system will be deceived into doing so. We see here in verse 13. He doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth and sight of the men and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. We see in verse 15 that those who are deceived into submitting this system do end up actually worshiping the beast. We also know that they are in fact deceived into taking that mark of the beast. How do we know that? We know that because we read in Revelation 19, verse 20, and the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that had worshipped his image. These the Antichrist and the false prophet were both cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Those that take that mark of the beast will be deceived into doing so, quite possibly by being told it's for your own good. If you don't receive this vaccine or wear this microneedle patch here, you'll die from disease X. The fourth thing that we need to notice here, as pointed out before also, is that it is not the first beast or its ruler, of the Antichrist, that administers the mark of the beast. It is the second beast who does so, the false prophet, the Pope of Rome. We need to ask and answer a very important question. What is it about the Roman Catholic papacy that gives Pope Francis any degree of power and authority among today's globalist leaders. Why does Klaus Schwab pay homage to the Pope? Well, Schwab was raised a Catholic. I doubt that he's a loyal, devoted Catholic today. But for that matter, neither is Pope Francis. Due to his anti-Christian, anti-Bible positions on many issues, including permitting Catholic priests to perform homosexual marriages, his position on divorce and remarriage, his ecumenical embrace of Hindus, Orthodox Jews, and Muslims. and the way, he actually runs the PR campaign for the globalists. There's a lot of resistance. There's actually a revolt against the Pope within the Catholic Church among those who do hold themselves out to be loyal Catholics. Meaning, of course, among those who believe they're more faithful to the Catholic counterfeit Christian religion than the Pope is. Of course, Catholicism, meaning universalism, never was based on the Bible anyway. It always was a blend of some of the elements of Christianity with pagan idolatry and rituals. So in that sense, Orge Bergoglio is just as good a Catholic as any of the traditionalists are. And in the eyes of the globalists, he's a great Catholic, meaning universalist, because his clear goal, where religion is concerned, is hyperecumenism and unification of all religions into one. But among the ruling elite and the globalists who are pushing for global government, the power of the papacy is not so much religious as it is economic, because I believe the power of the current Jesuit Pope is ultimately the power of the purse. Specifically, it is the power that the Jesuit order gained centuries ago through its control of international banking, which power it has retained ever since even as it spread its tentacles far and wide into every nation on earth, including Russia, China, India, South America. And though they've done their best to bury and conceal the fact, the Rockefellers, the J.P. Morgans, the Warburgs, the Rothschilds, and even the Roosevelts are all connected back to the Jesuit order, which order perfected the art of espionage and became far more concerned with global dominance and controlling the kings of the earth as the papacy had done in prior centuries and with any religious motive. John D. Rockefeller, the grand patriarch of the Rockefeller family, the original oil and robber baron, paraded himself as a Bible-carrying Baptist. There's pictures of him carrying a Bible. Bill Clinton, of course, followed that example also, defending himself as a Bible-carrying Baptist, even after he served as class president at his alma mater, Jesuit Georgetown University, but, in fact, J.D. Rockefeller was the great-grandson of a Jesuit by the name of Johann Rogenfelder. Rogenfelder, who, along with other Jesuits, including the Roosevelt's and Morgans, migrated to America from Germany in the 1700s, when the Jesuits were expelled from the nations of Europe, after which Rogenfelder then changed his name to Rockefeller to sound less German. The power of the papacy is, I believe, the power of the purse and the great wealth it has amassed over many centuries, which is why we read in Revelation 17 and verses four through six, we see that religious harlot, mystery Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth, holding the reins of that beast and global empire she is riding as she is arrayed there in purple and scarlet color, the colors of her bishops and cardinals and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having made herself rich having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication, John says. And we see there that she is also depicted as being drunken with the blood of the saints, as that Roman whore has been the archenemy and the nemesis of God's true saints ever since the days of Constantine in the 4th century, having tortured and put to death literally millions of God's saints over those long centuries of its existence. And in my mind... For anyone to attempt to conclude that this woman in that chapter is Zionist Israel, as some say, or Iraq, or anything other than the Roman Catholic papacy is really absolute folly and ignorance of the text. So the power of the papacy that causes the power elite of this world to pay it homage is the power of the banking system over which it still wields control, and that's precisely how the papacy through international banking, will administer the mark of the beast. Turn over to Revelation 19. It looks to me like what's taking place right now in their wrangling uh, to get this pandemic preparedness treaty approved is one more huge step in the ultimate implementation of world government under the Antichrist. We probably all have some pandemic preparedness of our own to do also. We need to prepare to preach, to continue preaching the gospel and to stay in God's will, first and foremost. We need to prepare to resist the devil and his new world order, along with all lockdown orders and vaccine mandates. And we also need to prepare for food shortages, famine and pestilence. So let's all be sure to keep plenty of liposomal vitamin C, zinc, quercetin on hand, the nebulizer and hydrogen peroxide. I sent you guys an email about this past week, because we, any day now, I really believe, another pathogen can be released. Be ready. Then, of course, there are other steps we need to take that we've talked about more and we'll come back to. Mark's going to talk a little little bit more next week about. What we do know is that ultimately the devil will have his new world order. Mm -hmm. It will come to pass. And there will be a time on this earth when no man will be able to legally buy or sell without the mark of the beast. At which time we will all, as Christians, be branded as enemies of the state, just as the nonconformists were. In the early days of the Catholic Church, but we also know that, like Nimrod's Tower of Babel, the devil's new world order will not last long. We're told in Revelation thirteen five it will last for forty two months. Elsewhere we're told twelve hundred and sixty days. Through other places we're told the time times and half a time, meaning three and a half years. And after that, as Paul says in Second Thessalonians one seven to nine, the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, but obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who Paul says shall be punished with everlasting destruction in the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power. John gives us a little bit more detail of that same scene here in Revelation 19, 11 to 21. John says, I saw heaven open. Behold the white horse. He that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations." He shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Verse 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 19. John says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Verse 20. The beast was taken with him the false prophet that were out miracles before him with which he deceived them and received the mark of the beast. Then they worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. The remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. whose sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. We do know that the devil will have his temporary kingdom, but it won't last long. We also know that this is how the devil's kingdom will end. God intervened in Nimrod's day to confuse the languages of man so that they would stop the work on the Tower of Babel. But now in these last days, when knowledge has increased, just like Daniel prophesied in Daniel 12, when man has overcome the Babel effect of confused languages, as was clearly demonstrated this past Thursday when Tucker Carlson interviewed Russian President Putin, And man has gone well beyond that to the point where he has gained very dangerous technological knowledge and the ability to re-engineer diseases, even to re-engineer mankind itself and to hack into the human brain, as we talked about last time. And indeed, even to attempt to become gods, say the transhumanists, to achieve eternal life. And beyond that, the ability to destroy the very planet itself. So it's even more true today than it was in Nimrod's day. That as God said at Babel, nothing will be restrained from them that they've imagined to do. So I believe that once again, as he did at Babel, before mankind travels too far down this technological road in pursuit of his own corrupt vision, version of immortality, the Lord must intervene, I believe, to put a stop to mankind's madness and his diabolical insanity. As we do read in Revelation 11, verse 15, and the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders were sat before God on their seats, fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and has reigned. Verse 18, And the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged. Then thou shalt give reward unto thy servants the prophets and to the saints, them that fear thy name, small and great, and shall destroy them, which destroy the earth. With these things that we see taking place in our world, I do believe the time may be very short to serve the Lord Jesus with the lives He has given us. And as Jade preached from the first hour from Philippians three fourteen, we all need to press toward the mark, toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And those who have never repented and bowed their knee to the lordship of Christ, received him as Lord and Savior, should do so. Stop wasting time and do so today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for showing us these things. Thank you for uh, warning us of what's to come in your word and in the things that you show us as we are watching those of us who you've called to watch for these things to come. Lord, help us to know what we should do in this hour. But above all, to seek to serve you with the time we have left. To be minister of the gospel first and foremost. And we know that if we, again, put ourselves, we seek to, to be in the center of your will, and to do, to do your will, that you'll take care of us. And I just pray that you'd help us all to do that. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.